Thank you, Brother Dalton, for the song today. Certainly we are in the presence of the Lord today as we sing praises to Him, as we break His bread, preach His holy word this morning. We thank the Lord for the response of God's people. During the handshaking time, I had two ladies volunteer to take that class at 11 o'clock. So we thank the Lord for that. We appreciate so much God's people. I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning, if you would please, to the Gospel of John chapter 16. Gospel of John chapter 16. We've been opening to John for over a year now as we've been studying through John's gospel. If you were to ask me today, what is the secret to the success of the Berean Baptist Church? I would say that it's because we do the very basic things that God requires. We're not a fancy church. If you're visiting with us today, you probably found that out already. Uh, we, we don't have a light show here. We don't have a Hollywood production. We just do the very basic things. We preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. We sing praises to the Lord. We exalt His name. And we equip people to do the work of the ministry that God wants us to do. And I believe that those are the very basic things that God has given a church to do. And if we change our theme and we focus on something else, then we won't fulfill God's purpose for the church. Our purpose here is not to be a social organization We're not an environmental action committee. We're not political lobbyists. We're just people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in preaching his word so that people can be saved. Well, this morning in our study of the Gospel of John, we're we're still in a section of this book where Jesus is speaking to his disciples in a very close, intimate setting. And I think it's interesting that as Jesus speaks to the disciples just before he went to the cross, that he gave them words of hope and encouragement. Strong words of hope and encouragement. But we also notice that Jesus didn't sugarcoat the message because he said there are also troubles that will come, problems will come. And so Jesus gave the disciples words of warning. Last week I spoke on the subject, if you're for him, they're not for you. And Jesus very clearly let the disciples know that following him would involve a cost. It wouldn't be easy. Persecutions would come. And we'll notice in the first few verses that we'll read today that the disciples heard from Jesus these words. He said, there's going to come a time when they will throw you out of the synagogues. And he said, when they do that, they think that they're doing God a favor. And so these disciples would find that out later. They would be cast out. People would not want to hear them. They would be persecuted. But they knew they were serving a great God. One thing Jesus does, he doesn't gloss it over. Now, many mission uh, ministries do gloss over the fact of the difficulties of the Christian life, and they'll make you think that once you become a Christian, that it's all smooth sailing all the way from now on. Never any more problems, no cares in the world. But Jesus never said that. But he did say, it's going to be worth it all. When we get to heaven, everything that we've gone through, it will be worth it all. Well, this morning, we come back to the subject of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has spoken on the subject of the Spirit twice before in chapters 14 and 15. And I talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit at those times. And I I told you some things about who the Holy Spirit is and why the Holy Spirit was given. But today, we're going to take a little bit more time with the, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a little bit more of a comprehensive look. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's job description. Most of you are familiar with job descriptions. Some have said that the job description for the pastor is to hatch, batch, and dispatch. That means do the baby dedications, 
perform weddings and preach funerals. I don't know, that might be my, my job description. There was a little boy who told his mother once, he, he said, I want to be a preacher when I grow up. And his mom said, why do you want to be a preacher? And he said, so I can yell at people all the time and get paid for it. And you might think that that's my job description as well. But today I want to speak about the job description for the Holy Spirit. What in the world is the Holy Spirit doing? We're going to read about that today. Open your Bibles to John 16, if you'll stand with me, please. We're going to read Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit, beginning with verse number 1. Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, any of you here that want to be a preacher, Jesus gives you a perfect outline right there, three-point outline for the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says, Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And I want you to notice those two verses particularly, because Jesus tells us there that it's not the work of the Holy Spirit to magnify himself. Many ministries preach as if the Holy Spirit is what it's all about. But it's all about Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ. That's his work. So he doesn't glorify himself. He glorifies Jesus. Verse number 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again a little while and ye shall see me. Because I go to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today. Help us to understand some things about the Holy Spirit. Help us to see the work that the Holy Spirit does. And Lord, we know that it's your Spirit that will actually cause us to see those things. Bless in the message today. Speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit... I want to take this three-point outline that Jesus gives us in verse number, verse number 8, and I want to actually expand that to four points. I know some people think that the perfect outline to preach is three points and a prayer. Well, we're going to expand a little bit. We're going to go into four points because I think Jesus does this himself. So, four points today about the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives us in this passage a job description for the Holy Spirit. First of all, he tells us, what is the Holy Spirit doing in this world? Well, he convicts people of sin. That's one of the job descriptions for the Holy Spirit. In verse number 8, it says, "...and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin." The word reprove is a 
word that has several different meanings, but one of the words, or one of the meanings rather, is conviction. And this is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. You see, a person who doesn't know the Holy Spirit or a person in his natural condition, not knowing Christ, really doesn't understand what sin is all about. The person really doesn't know how sin affects them and how sin is against God. And so many people will do things that they sin in their lives and they don't understand that all sin is against a holy God. And you'll notice that there aren't many people who are too concerned about the fact that they might use the Lord's name in vain. They don't worry about that because they're not convicted of that sin. There are some people as, they, uh, as, they're, as they're living, uh, people will live together without marriage. We see that happen a lot of times today, and people don't think that that's really all that bad because they don't understand the consequence that sin is against a holy God. And then there are people that uh, don't think it's too bad to watch television and, and movies that are filled with sex and violence, and they watch those things because they really don't think those things are too bad. But it's the job of the Holy Spirit to change our minds about what sin is. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and he convicts us that all these things that we do, these sins that we commit, these are things against a holy God. But I want you to notice first about the job of the Holy Spirit, that though it's his job to convict people of sin, it's his job to convict of sin, not sins. To convict of sin, first of all, and the first sin that the Holy Spirit must convict a person over is the sin of unbelief. Now, you see, there are many people who can believe things that are wrong on moral grounds. You can believe that certain things are wrong, but unbelief is the sin that has to be addressed first. The chief sin that all people are guilty of is the sin of unbelief. And unless you take care of that sin of unbelief, you'll never understand what it means to be convicted of sins or all the sins in the plural. Now look at verse number 9, because Jesus tells us here that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin because they believe not on me. Now I want to make you aware of something today. Did you know that someday all people will believe in Jesus? Now don't misunderstand me because I'm not speaking about universalism. I'm not saying that someday all people will be saved, and so it really doesn't matter anyway. But I am telling you that someday everybody will believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the Holy Spirit has the job of convicting people over this issue. And there are actually two classifications of people that the Holy Spirit convicts. First, we can say that the Holy Spirit convicts pre-believers. He convicts of the sin of unbelief. You say, what's a pre-believer? Well, a pre-believer is somebody who has not yet believed in Christ, but they will believe in Christ, and they will believe in him. If not in this life, they will believe in Christ in the life to come. And so regardless of who you are, where you live, what you think, even in this godless society that we live in, in this Bay Area surrounding San Francisco, everybody someday or another is going to recognize that Jesus is the Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, that's speaking of Jesus, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now you notice there in verse number 10 that phrase, and things under the earth? 
You know what that has reference to? It has reference even to people who are in hell. It has reference to the evil angels and and Satan himself. All will recognize that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the sad thing is, for these pre-believers who die and go to hell, when they finally recognize who Jesus is, it will be too late. The belief will come, but that belief won't save them. Friend, I want to tell you today that you may reject Jesus Christ in this life. You may, in fact, say he's not the Christ. You don't believe he died to save you from your sins. You have nothing at all to do with Jesus. And yet one day you will acknowledge that he is the Christ. You will know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, there are also pre-believers who will be convicted of sin in this life. And I mean that these are people who will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the job of the preacher is not to convict people so that they can come to Christ. Today, if you come to Jesus Christ and receive him as your personal Savior, it won't be because of this message. Now, the Holy Spirit will use the message, but the reason that a person comes to Christ is because the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts people of their sin and the need for personal salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The best example that we have of this working of the Holy Spirit is what we find in Acts chapter 2. Most of you are familiar with the story of the day of Pentecost. Preachers, uh, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached a message about salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter, who at one time denied the Lord Jesus... Peter stood up boldly on the day of Pentecost and in the face of these very same people who just a few days before had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to preach with power. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Therefore, Peter's preaching, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom he crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter stood up, he preached boldly, and through this sermon, there was convicting power. People were cut to the heart. And finally, after hearing the message, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do about this? We have crucified Christ. Now, do you know what would have happened if Peter had preached that message before Pentecost? These very same people that crucified Christ, if Peter had preached this message prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, those same people would have mocked Peter. They would have made fun of him. And probably they would have taken Peter out and crucified him as well. But something changed. What was it? The Holy Spirit came. And so when Peter preached this message, the Holy Spirit took that message. And in a very powerful manner, the Holy Spirit convicted the hearts of the people of the need to do something. And the need was to trust Jesus Christ. And on that day, there were 3,000 people who believed in Jesus as the Savior. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the preached Word of God and He changes. He makes that stubborn, resistant person who's resisted God at every turn. He makes that person give up his own will and yield himself to the power of Jesus Christ and the will of God. Here's something you need to understand. You will never be saved by your will. Your will will not save you. It takes the Holy Spirit to change a stubborn will and bring it into the conformity of the will of God. And that's a job description for the Holy Spirit. He changes your heart first. 
He makes you give up that stubborn resistance in order that you might believe. So the Holy Spirit convicts pre-believers. And whether in this life or the one to come, everybody will believe in Jesus. And I hope for your soul's sake that your belief in Jesus comes in this life and not in the one to come. Then, also, when you have believed in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit takes on another job of conviction. And what the Holy Spirit does then is to convict believers. And he convicts believers of the sins of disobedience. You see, when you get saved, the sin problem is taken care of. That sin problem of unbelief, that that comes from your sin nature. And your sin nature separates you from God. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, the sin nature is taken care of. But as we all know, we still live in the flesh. And every day, we still have a problem with sins. So the sin nature is a relationship problem. But that's already been taken care of when we trust Christ. But on the other hand, this problem of sins, that's a fellowship problem. Because of our sins, we can be separated from our fellowship with God. Now, we've talked about this before. When you get saved, you can never lose your relationship with God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. The relationship is always there. But it is possible for you to lose your fellowship with God. And so when you sin against the Lord, when you commit those daily sins, the fellowship with God is broken. And so the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of those sins of disobedience that cause you to be out of fellowship with the Lord. So the Holy Spirit convicts believers of sin so that they can remain in fellowship. Now, if you're listening to me and you're a child of God, you've already experienced this. If you're a true child of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because what is it that causes you, when, when you sin against God, to have this uneasy feeling inside of you? What is it that caused you sitting in that pew when the Word of God is being preached and you know that you've sinned against the Lord, when you know that there's something in your life that's not right, and the Holy Spirit begins, uh, or the preacher begins to preach to you, the Holy Spirit starts working on you. When you have those feelings, when you can't sit in that chair because you know that you've sinned against God, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sins of disobedience. And he does that in order that you might confess those sins, repent of those sins, and come back into fellowship with God. Now, if you haven't experienced that, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus and you don't experience what I've just said, then you have no reason to believe that you are a true believer. Because the Bible tells us that the Lord chastens, the Lord punishes even his own people when they don't believe. And so if you haven't felt that, if you haven't felt chastisement, then you have no cause to believe that you're saved. You might not like me to say it this way, but one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, he makes you miserable. He'll make you miserable. If you don't follow the Lord, he'll make you miserable. And if you don't believe it, read Hebrews chapter 12, because it's all about the chastening that God does with his children. So conviction, that's one of the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus gives us a second point to his outline, and he gives us another job description, and this is to convince people of righteousness. The Holy Spirit convinces us of righteousness. Now he expands on this in verse number 10. Jesus says, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Righteousness, or the word righteous. You know, that's a word that I use often when I preach And many times I just assume that people know what that means. We say righteous or righteousness, and we think everybody knows what that means. What is righteousness? 
Well, the simplest definition I could give you, what is right? Righteousness is what is right. It's, it's being right and doing right. That's what righteousness is. Now, unfortunately for all of us, we think that we already know what's right. And so we don't need anybody to tell us what's right. Proverbs says, Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, one of the ways that we think is right, or one of the things we think is right, is to promote ourselves. Selfishness. We think that that's right. It, it's all right to be selfish, to think about ourselves all the time. But really, selfishness and self is the root of all false religions. And I say that because we all start out by thinking that we're somebody. We don't need anybody to tell us anything. We, we want to make God in our image. And so we think that God is what we think is right. And following God is doing what we think is right. And so we are shamelessly all the time promoting ourselves. Now, some people do it more overtly than others. But all of us in some way or another, we want to promote self. I heard the story of a man who had just been elected as a state senator. And here was a man who was really proud of himself. He, he wanted people to be impressed with him. So his first day on the job when he was elected, he went into the state capitol. He went into the room where his office was and he sat down. Well, as he was sitting at his new desk and just admiring who he was himself, well, there was a knock on his door and he motioned for the person to come in. But as he told that person to come in, he wanted to look real important. So he picked up the telephone and he said, yes, governor, I'll do that right away. I appreciate you calling me and let me know about that. Then he punched another line. He said, I'm I'm sorry to keep you on hold, Mr. President. It's been a very hectic day today, but I appreciate your call. Thank you so much for your congratulations. Well, that man was still standing at the door, so he motioned for him to come on in. And he said, what do you want? And he said, well, I'm here to hook up your phone. We try to impress people. Self, that's what we're always after. That's what we're into. Well, the Holy Spirit comes to convince us of what righteousness really is. So here I want you to notice this first. The Holy Spirit convinces of what righteousness is. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man. So we think that we're right. Seldom do you ever hear people say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that. In marriages, how many times has your husband or your wife ever said to you, I'm wrong, and you're right? Well, you men, you have to say it a lot, but the women women don't say it very much. I'm wrong, and you're right. When do you hear preachers say, I'm wrong, and you're right? I've told you before, I had somebody come to my office one time, and they asked me, do you ever entertain the thought that you're wrong? And I said, no. And... I mean, really think about it. Do you want your preacher to stand up and say, well, I could be wrong about this. When I'm talking about your eternal soul and I'm speaking about how you can be saved in matters of heaven and hell, do you want to hear me say, well, I could be wrong about this. No, I'm convinced that I'm right. Now, one thing that I'm convinced of for sure of this message that I preach. And why am I convinced of the message? Because the Holy Spirit has taken away what I think is right and replaced it with the truth of what's really right. Now, one of the things that I know that the Holy Spirit teaches about righteousness is that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The Bible says the truth about righteousness is you don't have any. I don't have any. I don't have anything at all to offer God. Romans 3 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
So if I'm convinced of anything, I'm convinced my way is not right, I am convinced my flesh is not right, and my desire of myself is never right. Only God is right. But how many times have you heard people say this? Well, everybody has a little bit of good in them. Do you ever hear anybody say that? Everybody has a little bit of good in them. Or people say, I believe in the goodness of man. I heard somebody on television uh, just give a whole diatribe about that the other day, talking about the goodness, the innate sense of self-worth and the goodness of man. You know, we've got a scoring system about goodness. We think everybody's a little bit good. This person may be 10% good, and that person over there is 20% good. And there are others who get a little bit higher on the chart. There's a person, maybe he's 75% good or 80% good. And we've got the picture that here's Jesus up at the top of our chart. He's 100% good. And what we have to do is attain to this 100% goodness of Jesus. But we've all got this little bit of goodness in us. But do you understand what the Holy Spirit does? He helps us to understand a whole different characteristic about righteousness. Here it is, number two, letter B on your listening sheet. He helps us to understand where righteousness can be found. Now, righteousness, or the only right way, is found in Jesus Christ. I'm not 10% good or 20% good because righteousness is never found in me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when a person comes to Christ, he finds out that righteousness is not at all what he's supposed it to be. And so instead of of trying harder, he realizes that this standard of righteousness that God has set is totally unattainable. I can't get to that standard. Why? Because I don't have anything in me to get me there. I don't have any goodness in me. Righteousness has to be found in Jesus Christ. God demands righteousness, and it won't be found in me. And so I've got to find it in him. So to be saved, a person has to admit your way is wrong. You've done wrong. And the only right way is Jesus. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to show you how you can be saved by understanding that you need Christ's righteousness. There's not a thing that you could ever do to help yourself to attain salvation. God accepts nothing less than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I could preach and preach and preach and preach this all day long. But unless the Holy Spirit makes you understand this, that your way is wrong and Jesus' way is right, you'll never believe the message. Now, there's some preachers who will beg and plead. They'll stand up at the end of the sermon, and for an hour, they'll give an invitation trying to convince people to come to Christ. It's not my job description. I can't convince people to come to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can show you what's right and where righteousness can be found. Now, certainly, the Holy Spirit uses the message that's preached, but the work of convincing people to receive that message belongs to the Holy Spirit. Friends, I tell you, beware of preachers who try to lay a guilt trip on you because you haven't brought 10 people up the aisle every Sunday morning. Why? Because it's not your job description. That's not what you were intended to do. You give the message, and the Holy Spirit does the work of convincing people of righteousness. So what in the world is the Holy Spirit doing? He's convicting of sin and convincing of righteousness. Now, what else does the Holy Spirit do? Well, there's a third point to Jesus' outline. And the third thing he does is to confront with judgment. 
Verse 11 says, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. This gives us some insight into who will be judged. Who will be judged? Well, first, Satan will be judged. Satan will be judged. Now, the Holy Spirit takes the fact of Satan's judgment to give us evidence that God surely will punish, he will judge sin. In Revelation chapter 20, we have the ultimate end for Satan. It says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented night and day forever and ever. Why do you think that Jesus uses Satan as the example? Why is Satan the proof case for judgment? It's because Satan is powerful. Satan is a fallen angel. Now, there's no way that we can even fathom how powerful that an angel is. Even one angel. But the Bible is showing us here that all of these evil angels that assist Satan, all of them are going to be judged. Now, as powerful as Satan is, and he is powerful, God will judge him. And God's going to take him and all of his helpers and cast them into the fires of hell. Now, the thing that makes people wonder so much about judgment is actually God's timing. Because we wonder about the timing. We see, about, we see all the evil that goes on around us. We hear all the time about pedophilia. That's a problem today. And, and we, we think about kidnappings and, and murders and child abuse and, and rapes and all these things that go on. And we wonder, is there an end to all this? Why does God permit these things? When's God going to judge? And we get the idea because the timing is long that he's not going to judge. But don't ever make that mistake. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to show you that, yes, God will judge sin. Justice may be long time in coming, but it is coming. Satan will be judged, but he's not the only one. Because the Bible also shows us that people will be judged. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And so every person is going to stand before God, and you will give an account. Judgment is coming. Nobody's going to escape it. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible gives us examples of judgment. You remember the story of Noah and the ark and the flood? God sent the flood to judge the evil world in the time of Noah. God also, a little bit later, sent destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. God destroyed those cities with fire and brimstone. Well, when we come to the New Testament... Peter uses those types of judgment to show us that God is going to judge people and he's going to reserve the unjust for a day of punishment. And he uses those specific examples. I want you to turn to 2 Peter for just a moment, if you will. Find the book of Revelation, back up just a few books, and you'll find 2 Peter. And in chapter 2, Peter talks about this. He uses the example of the evil angels and about the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah to teach us how God has reserved the unjust for punishment. Now, in chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
condemned them with an overflow, making them an example, or example unto those that should after live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Listen, not verse number nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And he's using Lot as the example of that. But he says in the last part, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So the Bible makes it very clear to us, judgment is coming. There is a day of reckoning that will happen And every person who has not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior will come to this judgment that Peter's speaking of. And the sentence that will be passed in that judgment is a sentence of eternal death. A person who leaves this life without Jesus Christ will face this judgment and the sentence will be passed that they will be thrown into the fires of hell forever. Folks, I'm not afraid to talk about hell. I'm not afraid to preach about it. Because the Holy Spirit takes the preaching of the word and he confronts you head on with the reality. There is a judgment coming. You're going to stand before God. The prophet Amos said, prepare to meet, that, meet thy God. But now I want you to notice one last thing. We're going to add another thing to Jesus' outline because Jesus actually does this himself in verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. If or if I go not away, the Comforter of the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, or that's when he has come to you, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So what else does the Holy Spirit do? Well, number four, the Holy Spirit conveys the truth through you. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is very important. I don't want you to leave today with this some kind of an idea that what the Holy Spirit is doing is just floating around out here somewhere. And when he sees somebody that he wants to convict, he zaps them with his wand. He casts a spell upon them, and all of a sudden, they're believers in Jesus Christ. That's not how it happens. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Jesus said, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come to you. Now, the instrument through which the Holy Spirit works is the people of God. The Holy Spirit convicts men and women of sin. He's the one that's responsible. But he does it through the instrumentality of humans. And it's always been that way. When Jesus came to this life or to this world, he personally called the disciples. He called them out. He saved them. But then he left them. And when he left... He sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began to do this work of convicting people of sin. And Peter preached that message on the day of Pentecost because the Holy Spirit was using him to give that word to convict people. So the Holy Spirit was working through him. Now, ever since then, until this time, the Holy Spirit has always used human instrumentality. Now, if you read the book of Acts, which is history of church growth, every single person that was saved in the book of Acts, was saved through human instrumentality. Every one of them. Even when we think about the Apostle Paul. He was saved on the road to Damascus. God spoke to him personally. But do you remember that the Apostle Paul heard the message? He heard Stephen. He stood by as Stephen was being stoned. And yet Paul heard that message. And God used those things like that to bring him to Christ. So you don't escape responsibility because the Holy Spirit does the work. The work is done through you. 
On the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power. You will be the witness. So the Holy Spirit is not the witness. He's not the witness. Angels aren't the witness. Your Bible sitting up on a shelf somewhere is not the witness. You are the witness. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come to you and you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit conveys the truth for you, through you. So this is what I want to ask you today. Are you his witness? What is the Holy Spirit's job description? What in the world is the Holy Spirit doing? He's purifying you and he's working in you to tell the glorious message of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, are you doing that? Are you the instrument that God is using to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? On the day before I wrote this message, there was one of our faithful members who came into my office and we were talking. And this gentleman said, I struggle with the best way to do the Great Commission. And I love that statement because it pointed out that there is a right way to do this and the fallacy of believing that there's only one way that we can reach people for Christ. Now, some people think that the only one way that you can use to get people in, you must go out, you must knock on doors, you must hit every door in town and leave a track on everybody's door, and that's the way that you have to do it. We struggle with the best way to do evangelism, and there is a best way to do it. There's a way that works, and the best way is the way that works. Now, I think the best way... There's certainly nothing wrong with knocking on doors, leaving tracks. You ought to do that. That's a fine thing to do. But I think the best way to do it is to convince the world through your life. How do you live your life? Are you a witness in front of your family? Do they see consistency in you so that they'd want to believe in Jesus Christ? What about where you work? Are you a consistent Christian in what you do there? What about your friends, your, your, your neighbors? Do they see Christ in you? Here's what Peter said. He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Have you lived your life so that people ask you what's different about you? They see something different in what you're doing, the kind of employee that you are. Maybe it's reading your Bible as you take your lunch period. Maybe it's just a word that you drop here and there about praising the Lord or, or the fact that you went to church or something that God has done in your life. Do people ever hear you say anything at all about God? You are his witness. And the very best way that you'll ever reach people for Christ is to let the Holy Spirit work through you and through your life to be the witness that you should be. What in the world is the Holy Spirit doing? He's working on you. He wants you to be his testimony. He's purifying and sanctifying you to be his instrument, to be his witness. Is the Holy Spirit conveying truth through you? Have you found out what your job description is? Your job description is to be the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? I hope that you are. And if you aren't, then you need to get busy today. You need to find out your job description 
It's the Holy Spirit working in you. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the word that you've given us today. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who's come into the world to convict us of our sins, to convince us of righteousness, to show us where righteousness can be found. And Lord, as we've learned in the last part of this message, the Holy Spirit's job is to convey his message through us. And Lord, may we accept the responsibility that we have to tell other people about Christ. Would you speak to some soul today? Draw someone close to you. We pray for those who don't know you as Savior. Would your Holy Spirit convict them and show them that they need to repent of their sins and put their faith in you? If not, hell awaits them. And Lord, for those Christians here today who need to be doing something more for you, would you just speak to their hearts and draw them in such a way that they'll surrender it all to you, give their lives to you so that souls might be one for Christ. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand with me as we sing? I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small.